Good evening. Good evening. How y'all doing? How y'all doing? Thanks for joining us tonight. Every week, it feels like we have some sort of weird ass technical issue that pops up on here. And so um, never failed. Today was another day of that. So I hope you're uh, getting ready to watch a fantastic show. We're super excited to have you join us and be a part of this. Well, this has been so weird. It's like the book of face, everything changed. Everything changed. I can't just share it on my page. Why did this change? How did you how, how did you share my video? <laughs> oh my gosh. Oh, share with friends. I guess we'll share with friends. No, that's not what I want to do. All right. Doesn't matter. It got shared. That's all that matters. All right. Fantastic. Okay, y'all. So I'm super excited to share tonight's show with you. Um, somebody that has really seen things from a different perspective, from a place that is going to take us back in our U.S. history. It's going to take us back into a time that um, is going to really remind us why we do what we do and why we need to support who we need to support. So I'm going to click a couple more things here. Okay. And put this up here. Look at everybody watching. Thank you everybody for watching. This is awesome. All right. So thank you for tuning in tonight, friend. Welcome to season fucking seven. I still can't believe it. I just can't believe it. This was just a little idea and a little hair salon. And now we're at season seven. Every season we share many new stories of people's lives that leave us awe inspired. And tonight, my friend, is no different. Tonight's show is sponsored by Estrogen Fest, the virtual one. Ladies and gents, yes, the first time ever we are offering our Virtual Estrogen Fest 2.0 to both men and women. This is an opportunity to look at what has held you back during COVID. Did you find that some of your sabotages blew up during COVID? <laughs> I know a lot of peoples that did, um, and that wasn't healthy for them. Did you get to feeling lazy and not productive? Are you ignoring household chores? Are you not feeling motivated or stuck as fuck? Listen, if you said yes to any of these, Virtual Estrogen Fest is for you. Look for our special opportunity to take advantage of during the show. And per Estrogen Fest style, we are extending payments out two months past our event dates, July 11th and 12th. Consider this virtual experience to support your highest and best good. Tonight, we are blessed to have a man who has dedicated his life to service, former Marine, founder of the Block Foundation, Firefighter, EMS, please let me introduce to you Mr. Curtis Bell. Hello, sir. Hey. Did I get that right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. All right. That's good. That's yeah, good. good. And just real quick a note because I know he's watching, but um, Brandon Porter, if you want to attend the virtual estrogen fest, the Block Foundation will pay your way in. I'm just offering that right now. Are you saying that to be funny? Or are you saying that? I'm telling no. you, my program is fucking bomb. 
I I need him to to uh, to join that. He's so Brandon Porter is a he has become a pretty vital part of the Block Foundation, which we can get into later on. Mm-hmm. But I try to send him to uh, as many uh, outside conferences as as possible, and I, I really think that he would uh, benefit from from well, that. Kim Fisher, Kim. Uh, Kim, tell Brandon, because you can write this back and forth. Y'all can see it. Kim actually has attended a live and um, an in-person retreat, a conference, and the virtual one. And um, Kim, if you want to tell him a little bit about what your experience is or or whatever, feel free to do so. It is an amazing um, journey because... We look at this as an opportunity to truly, if you want to, if you want to shed your shit in a non-judgmental place, this is the place to do it. Like by all means, this is the place to do it. And so for the first time ever, because it is virtual, we're not diving deep into like personal issue issues, but we are, we are looking at the sabotages in our life because we're all doing it. Yeah. You know, whether you're eating too much, whether you're smoking too much, whether you're drinking too much, you know, whether you're watching too many Netflix and chilling. Yeah. Whatever, whatever that looks like. Right. Yeah. So anyway, he hasn't sent me to any, he says. He's a liar. I love it. He's a liar. Now y'all are probably just fucking with me. Anyway. No, no. no. <laughs> we'll get into the, uh, the mental health conference that, that was his brainchild mm-hmm. uh, that we hosted with 22 Kill. We'll get into that later. That's awesome. So, well, it is important. Like, it is important. And, you know, so. for us, um, you know, I know the name, but until we have more men actually want to show up, we're not changing it. But um, it is it is important. It is important. Like it. It's fun. It's fun. For sure. Well, Curtis, we start the show the same every every show. So tell us where you're from and how you were raised. Okay, so I grew up in a small town called Princeton, Texas. Um, my parents have been married for a very long time. Um, never dealt with uh, separation or, or divorce or any of that stuff as, as a kid, um, grew up in, in a pretty supportive family. Um, I am the youngest of two. I've got an older brother, uh, that's three years older than I am. Um, that is currently working in kind of the, the AV electrician okay. uh, type, type field. Yeah. Um, uh, he's got three little boys, uh, so those are those are my nephews. Um, I graduated uh, in May of 2002 uh, from Princeton High School. Uh, now, is Princeton a small town? I'm assuming it's small town. Yeah, we were pretty small. Uh, I think I graduated with with right around like 92, 90 to 92 people, which I mean. Still sounds like a lot, but but I mean when you're when you're talking, you know, compared to like McKinney graduation or Rockwall or or whatever, um, uh, graduating, you know, somewhere around two thousand, 
her graduating uh, class now, we were still pretty small. I mean, it was it was small enough that, that you knew everybody you were graduating with. Wow. Um, so, um, That's awesome. Yeah. yeah. So you grew up really in a very normal life, it sounds like. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, you know the the whole using the quotations normal. Um, grew up with with mom and dad still married. Uh, grew up in a in a pretty small house. You know, we weren't we weren't rich by any means, but we, you know, if if we struggled, we never saw it. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, my dad was. Uh, I grew up a welder's son. My dad was a welder from from the time that that he uh, left high school, so um, probably uh, right before I got out of the Marine Corps. Wow! Uh, and so I grew up building, you know, metal fences, uh, barns, um, just you know, odds odds and ends, uh, welding jobs. Um, throughout That's my, an my awesome skill to have at such a young age. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, it's, it's kind of weird that, that it, <laughs> as much as I hated it back then, as much as I hated going to, uh, to, to, uh, build a pipe fence or a barn or whatever the case was, um, it's, it's kind of become like a passion of mine now is, is to, to learn, um, um, the, the craft of, of welding. And, and like, I find myself getting lost in, you know, going down the rabbit hole of, of YouTube videos of, of welders and, you know, just all kinds of crap. I've, that's I've awesome my though. Yeah. So that's awesome. So you did not go to college. I did not. So that is going to kind of lead us into uh, my buddy John's story. If, if I go down that route. So, um, it was July of 2001 that my buddy John Hartwig and I, um, decided that, I mean, we both realized to, to really do something with our lives. We needed to get it out and get out of our hometown. Um, and so we, we went and visited the Marine Corps recruiter and what, what drove me to the Marine Corps, you know, I, I didn't go see any other recruiter at all. Like there was no other option for me. What drove me to, to see the Marine Corps recruiter is, is that my mom's dad uh, was a Korean war air force veteran. My dad's dad was a Navy veteran and my dad was a, uh, an army veteran. Um, towards the later years of the Vietnam era. So I had Air Force, Navy, and Army already in, in, in my direct lineage. So there's, you know, I, I, couldn't, I couldn't choose favorites. So I had to go my own route. And Marine Corps was the only way. Um, I love so, it. Yeah, so, so John and I went and we talked to the Marine Corps recruiter. And, uh, you know, like, like any good recruiter out there, uh, we, we agreed with what he said and we, we enjoyed listening to, um, you know, his little spiel. And, uh, next thing you know, I've got my parents signatures cause I was 17 
Uh, I've got my parents' signatures to 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 kind of officially talk to the recruiter or not. And um, the the summer before my senior year of high school, um, I had already signed my contract for uh, for the United States Marine Corps. Uh, I signed a four year contract, um, which led us into um, you know starting school. August of 2001, um, and no Chris Payne. I could not go Coast Guard. Um, appreciate you offering that 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 little question I, up though. I love uh, it. I love it. So, no offense uh, to our Coast Guard veterans and Coast Guard service. Absolutely not. They're, they're absolutely very not. valued. But but a little little back history there is Chris Payne's an army veteran and he's also my my therapist. So oh, he's coming on the show. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah. Aren't I, that's gonna be a good time. So he's not only an army therapist, he's not only an army veteran, but he's also my therapist. Um so so we, we kind of take digs at each other, you know, as as best we can. Um but love you, Chris. Um uh, and, and I'll get into our discussion from today here in a little bit. Um, but yeah, so, so that kind of led us to, to, you know, John and I both, you know, like if we're going to do this, we're going to go all the way. And, and Marine Corps was the only, was the only option. Um, so kind of going, transitioning into the nine eleven question. I don't know if you, you, you know, you want to step in here or, or, or whatnot, but, um, you know, well, we were, you know, um, the question was, you know, were you, was nine 11 your reason and you had already enlisted. So you're, you were going no matter what, but yeah. let me ask you. So nine 11 strikes, right? This is all happening to our country. Yeah. Were you like fired up? You wanted to get in there and fight or were you freaked the fuck out? Because I think a combination of that would be completely normal and healthy because you were so young. You were just a kid. Yeah. Uh, so it was, um, it was a little bit of both, uh, to, to be completely honest, you know, I was, I was fired up, but I was also freaked out. Um, you know, I, I, I can remember, to this day, exactly where I was when I saw that second plane hit. Yep. Um, you know, I was, I was a senior in high school. Uh, I was sitting in in Coach Tabor's uh, U.S. History class, which uh, if if there's anybody from Princeton ISD, um, you know, Coach Tabor's was one of my saving graces in in uh, in high school. Um, I just happened to be sitting in his. Um, in his U.S. history class, when he turned on the TV, and we saw the second plane hit, and uh, right then, I mean, it was just like it was, it was just like everybody else. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it was very apparent what was going on, and with with me and John uh, already um, have signed our contract. I ran out of my class and John ran out of his class and we were looking for each other. Uh, John didn't have a car at that time. Uh, I did. I was, I was fortunate enough to have, have 
my own little truck going on and and we we met up because we knew you know who's where we were at pretty much so so we rounded the corner and kind of ran into each other and having the same idea so john and i ran out to, to my truck got in it and um you know driving from little town princeton down to plano where my recruiter was at the time um you know, skipping the rest of the, of the day of, of school, uh, John and I, we tried to convince our recruiter uh, and everybody in there in the recruiter's office that we we were ready to go. And, um, you know, it took the majority of the day for them to convince us that high school diploma was was uh, priority. And that was what we needed to focus on. And yeah. so we, we ended up uh, going back to class the next day and um, uh, finishing out our, our senior year. Wow. And, was that really hard? It, it really was uh, because, you know, as, as <laughs> those that were, you know, my age or, or uh, a little bit older um, during that time, they, they can remember. Mm-hmm. You know, it was, it was, it, there was there was a long time. It what seemed like a long time um, that transpired between nine eleven to like a a an actual decision being made by mm-hmm. the administration at that point. Um, and and so fortunately for me. In hindsight, fortunately for me and John, both, you know, it, it took quite a while for the U.S. to to say, you know, hey, we're we're going to war. Uh, we're going to do something about this. We're we're going to step up. Um, you know, whatever whatever they they came across, I, I don't even remember because I wasn't I wasn't interested in politics back then, but. Um, John and I graduated in um, May of 2002, and we were in um, we were on a plane, both on a plane, sitting next to each other to San Diego um, ten days after graduation. June 10th of, of 2002 is when we joined the Marine Corps. Uh, that's wow. when we pulled out there, uh, got to the USO uh, in San Diego. And uh, we're told to get on the bus, um, the drill instructors uh, from MCRD San Diego. And uh, that was that was the day that that changed my life forever, for sure. Um, but, yeah. What was the overall feeling while you were serving? Uh, the overall feeling, I, I would say from everybody that I was serving with was that, that we, we wanted the opportunity to, go to, to do our job. Um, you know, and, and I would say that about my career to, to this day. Um, you know, it's, it, it, it kind of rings the same bell in, in the sense that nobody, nobody that I've ever experienced has said that they want war, you know, that they want everything that comes of war, so on and so forth. Just like in the fire service, 
you know, you'll you'll never meet firemen that says that that they want a structure fire to happen. Right. You know, the the kind of the the consensus is that we know that it's gonna happen. We know that like when I was in the Marine Corps, we we knew that war was gonna happen. We just preferred it to to be on us versus right like the next generation. Same thing with with the fire service. You know, if if a search fire is gonna happen, we prefer it to be where we can actually do something. Right. Uh, where we can actually contribute, where we can actually go in and, and try to make a difference. It's not that we wish that on on our community. Uh, we don't wish that on on anybody. Um, uh, to be honest with you, but if it if, if and when it happens, we want to be the ones that are are able to make that contribution and and make that change, and and we want to be the ones that that go to work on that structure fire scene. Right, right. How many? We're going to back up just a little bit. How many tours yeah. did you actually do? Do you remember? So that's um. That's kind of a complicated question with, with uh, my job. So I was uh, primarily stationed with a unit called VMPR-252. What's that? What was your position? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Ask that first, I guess. I, I asked the wrong question first. So what's your yeah. position, and then how many tours did you do? So um, I graduated uh top of my class uh in boot camp uh, i was the only lance corporal to, to come out of boot camp um i spent the next damn near four years as a lance corporal um in in the unit that i was assigned to uh not not necessarily by choice you know i'll, I'll get into that here in a second but um uh so i was a lance corporal for the majority of my career um, it was one of those things that the unit that I was assigned to, I had a very specific job, but it didn't really correlate with the airframe that, that I was assigned to. I was a aviation ordnance technician, uh, which is weapon systems on aircraft. But I was assigned to uh, VMGR 252, which was a C-130 unit based out of Cherry Point, North Carolina, uh, which C-130s, if you know anything about them, at least back in my day, you know, it's changed now with the Hardest Hawk and, and you know, Marine Corps, we don't have the spook, uh, the Spookies or the Spectras or whatever you want to call them. We don't have the AC-130s. Um, but... Uh, Marine Corps does have the harvest stock now, which is a whole nother story. That's for another time. But, um, when I was in, like as an aviation ordinanceman, uh, we took, um, we took care of the, um, uh, defensive countermeasures, which is the Chapman flare, which wasn't a very glorious job. And so what we did as a shop was we cross-trained uh, quite a bit, uh, whether it be with, with ComNav or avionics or airframes or power plants or, or whoever it may be. 
uh, we kind of we kind of spread our guys out um, to, to help out where we could uh, and and whatnot. Uh, there was there were some benefits that came with that, you know, um, but there was also a lot of responsibility with with very little rank um, when it came to it. Um, as as um, you know, my my actual staff NCOIC in the Marine Corps when we got assigned to our unit, um, he was actually TAD'd, which is temporary assignment duty to um, to the base range. Um, and so I was the senior guy as a Lance Corporal coming in with zero experience, had no idea what I was doing. And now yeah. all of a sudden I have eight guys under me, um, you know, and, and uh, so I'm, I'm kind of, you know, learning by fire. Did that um, scare you shitless? Oh, like, like that had to be incredibly um, intimidating and scary and yeah. You know, you make a wrong move and so um, I'm, I'm going to give a shout out to um, a, a very good friend of mine named Adam Bruner. Uh, that was that was one of my best friends in Marine Corps. He and I met early on in training. Uh, he, he just happened to come after me in boot camp. And so technically I was senior and but without without Adam there by my side and, and kind of going through the same thing that we went through. Um, I, I wouldn't have survived, uh, you know, the, the very first part of it until, um, uh, you know, Chris Blady, uh, who's, who was one of my mentors, uh, until he came back and actually, you know, made his presence known, um, as far as that goes. Um, you know, Adam, love you. Um, uh, wish I could see you again, but uh, I, I know you're going to be watching this later on. Um, uh, but yeah, it's it's one of those things that that looking back on it, uh, if I didn't have the people around me, I wouldn't have survived it. Um, it. Which which I can say that to to this day. You know, I've had um, I've had a very loyal. Uh, friendship with with uh, with a very select few that have have kind of helped me survive uh, from from day to day and and even to this day. So well, there's something to be said about that. Absolutely, and that and that speaks volumes and, about you too. Yeah, so. and and so that's that's one of the the most you know that's one of the points that 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 I was hoping to make on this uh, podcast is is that. You know your your experience and and um, the the bullshit that you go through from administration or from your uppers from from the upper echelon or whatever the case is like <clears throat> that that's not necessarily what defines you you know what defines you is is the relationships that that you're able to create um, throughout your journey. And uh, which which most of those I, I still talk to today, like Chris Blady and Adam Bruner and Tim David and uh, Caleb Poston and, and a handful of others from my Marine Corps career, uh, which is only four years. Um, you know, those guys changed my life um, in, in, in that short amount of time. And I'll never forget those guys. 
uh, you know, and, and <clears throat> I still keep in contact with, with every single one of them uh, to this day. I mean, not as much as I'd want to, but, you know, life gets in the way and, and all that. But I bet you're going to text him when you get off this tonight, aren't you? <laughs> it's interesting how that happens, isn't it? You know, everything yeah. is very intentional. We go through, I, I call our life, um, you know, a, a series of puzzle pieces, right? And we go through this, this interesting puzzle piece, piece by piece by piece. And some of the pieces are bigger than others. And then all of a sudden, you know, we get clarity on them and then they fit back in the puzzle. But at the end, you know, we have a glorious picture that paints our life and all those people and aspects of that puzzle make it just that much more glorious and beautiful. So what a gift I, that you are in contact with all those people still. Hindsight makes you realize so many things. Um, and, and that's uh, one thing that I'm very appreciative of uh, throughout throughout my all of my careers, uh, be it the Marine Corps be at Fort Worth Fire Department or, you know, the short tenure that I've had in, 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 with the, the McKinney Fire Department. Um, you know, the personal connections is what I truly value the most out of any other experience I've ever had. No matter what, no matter where we were or what we were doing, it was always the people that were next to me is, is what was the most important to me. Well, that is, um, that's what's important. You know, if, if to, to say that there are people in your life from almost every aspect of your life still, I think is huge. Yeah. Right. I think it's huge. Um, and Dano, I just want to comment. I see your, I see your comment here and, Blessings be for you for getting help and just know that there are resources out there if you need them, whether it's uh, through 22 Kill or the Cohen Foundation or Stay the Course or I don't know if you do that also at the Block Foundation. Dan will reach out to me, uh, okay. brother. Uh, the, the Block Foundation. So, My name's so Curtis We all Bell. have the resources. Yeah, find me. Reach out to me if you need help. Man. Okay. Don't, don't hesitate. Don't hesitate. No. So let's talk about when you got home, um, yeah. because I think that's really important to discuss the <laughs> mental health aspect of what that looked like for you. Yeah. Um, you know, did you realize that there was PTSD there initially? Did you, did somebody have to like tell you like, you know, how did this, how did this look for you and how do you cope today with, with all of it? Man. Um, so to be honest with you, um, you know, That's I was, always I, best I, I, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> you know, and, and I, I, I've learned through life experiences that that is absolutely the best way to be regardless of, of the situation. But, um, to be honest, uh, when I, when I came back from, from overseas, um, you know, I still had that, that stereotypical Marine Corps mentality uh, that, that I was invincible. Um, but at the same time, you know, I, I, I was living like, um, like I wasn't planning on seeing 30, you know, cause um, you know, being, being 18 in 2002, joined the Marine Corps, 
know, I signed a four-year contract, you know, a four and four. Um, I didn't plan on getting out of the Marine Corps, uh, to be honest with you. I didn't plan on, on making it out. Okay. Um, you know, uh, my job was a little different than most, uh, which was very fortunate for me. Um, and, and not only just a learning experience, but, but, um, um, just being able to meet who, who I met, um, throughout that, that those four years. Um, but when I got out in 2006, um, I, I was still living like, like I wasn't planning on seeing 30. Um, you know, the, the whole firefighting thing, uh, stemmed back to when I was a teenager. Um, you know, I, I think I was 13 when I first started, I started volunteering for, um, the, the local fire department, uh, through our Explorer program. Oh, wow. Uh, yeah. So I, I'd been a part of that for, since I was 13 and, and, you know, I thought I was, <laughs> I thought I was hot shit. You know, I was a high schooler that, that had the little pager, you know, on his belt that oh, you know, I love it. Every time a call came in for Princeton fire department, you know, my pager would go off and that was just like another excuse for me to, to skip school. <laughs> you know, so I'd take off and uh, uh, I'd deal with the consequences later or whatever. And, you know, there's a handful of us that did that. Um, and, and in all honesty, I mean, that's, that's what I signed up for the Marine Corps for was, was uh, I was planning on being a fireman. Um, you know, I don't, I don't know what it was. I, <clears throat> nobody, nobody in my family were firemen. Nobody were, were first responders. Um, you know, I think my grandfather did a very short stint as a police officer um, back when my dad and his older brother were, were like toddlers type deal, but he got out of it really quick. Um, and uh, so, so I never grew up with like the first responder family. I never grew up in, in the firehouse. I never grew up with, with like a cop in the family or, or, or any of that. Dude, it was just, it was just destiny. You were just meant to be. Yeah. But, but I, I'll tell you right now, that growing up in Princeton, um, you know, when I, when, when, well, when I was growing up, we had to go to McKinney for everything. Uh, we had to go to McKinney for the, for the grocery store, for entertainment, you know, go to the movies, to go to the uh, coffee shop, to go wherever. We had to go to McKinney for that. And so McKinney is like my hometown uh, in, in essence. And I remember way back in, in 95 um, driving by, and watching the station that I work at now, which is station two in, in McKinney, Texas. Uh, I remember watching that, that station get built as a kid. Wow. I, I remember driving by in my parents' car saying, you know, I'm going to work there one day. And lo and behold, through a very long, uh, arduous process, uh, you know, that's, you that's my station, you know, it's, as my station, it's my crew. Um, I'm very proud of it. Um, I wouldn't change it for, for anything. Wow. You know, That's it's amazing. Kind of, yeah. Well, how do you, how do you cope personally mm -hmm. with your mental health shit? Oh boy. Like, first of all, you know, 
is it something that you recognize or does it have to be somewhat pointed out to you? Um, and do you, are you quick to receive or ask for help? Because I know most men are not. So there's that, but. Yeah. And, uh, so my daughters are watching this. <laughs> I, I saw that. On one of the I, I saw that too. Oh, uh, I just, I, I want to say, you know, hi, and I love them uh, to, to them. Uh, Hadley and Paisley. Um, because this really touches on, on the home front. Um, and, and no, I didn't recognize it for a long time. Um, you know, I was, I was very active in, uh, not only just the, the, the firefighting aspect of, of my job, but I've also been involved with, uh, with nonprofit work, uh, for just as long. And, and I'll get into that here, here in a little bit. Uh, but, but that, that road led me, uh, to meeting some, some phenomenal people that through, through them. And then also through kind of losing, uh, some really close friends of mine, um, kind of made me take a step back and, uh, and, and realize that, that I wasn't, I wasn't living as as healthy as I I, I could have been. Um, uh, I mean, from what perspective? Uh, from from every every perspective, uh, from um, just my way of thinking. You know, like like going back to um, the whole mindset of. You know, I'd, I'd never see 30 years old. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, you know, I, I realize now that that was just not, that wasn't a healthy perspective to have. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, thinking that that I could have control of, um, you know, how long I lived or, or right. how long I was going to live or, or, you know, just, just you know, the, 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 simple fact that, that I, I didn't necessarily want to live that long, um, because of what was going on to, um, fast forward to um, 2007, you know, when, when I got engaged and got married, um, that kind of changed perspective, my perspective a little bit. Um, I, I don't know that it really changed my perspective enough to um, for me to, to recognize everything that was going on. Uh, but then you, you, uh, you fast forward to 2009 and, you know, I'm almost at the end of, uh, you know, I'm almost to that 30 year mark. Right. Um, and that was when my first daughter was born Hadley. And uh, you know, I, 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 you know, she's, she's read, she's read that note and, uh, you know, I've, I've kind of talked to her about it. Um, but, but she is the one that saved my life, um, to keep going to, to now, you know, it's even to this day. Um, you know, that was, that was honestly the first reason that I had to 
like extend my personal goal of not making it to 30. Right. Um, you know, now I had, now I had somebody that I was responsible for. Um, it changes you, doesn't it? Oh my God. Mm -hmm. uh, for those that don't have kids, like I can't even, I can't even describe it. Um, how, how much it changes you. Um, I, the, the moment that Hadley was born, I was a completely different person. And, uh, I, I and, understand. Yeah. And, and I've been building off of that ever since, like that has been my basis, um, of, of that, that moment that, that I first saw her, um, to now that has truly been my basis of what I, where I want my life to go, um, with that. So, um, so yeah, I mean, I, I don't even remember where, where I was going with, with the original. Well, but obviously, obviously you see Chris, right? So you have a therapist, so that's good. Yeah. Um, so, um, I can't wait for that conversation with him, by the way. I think it's going to be a hoot. <laughs> <laughs> so um, Chris and I have only actually seen each other a couple of times. Um, but at the same time, um, you know, for whatever reason, Tempa, Cheryl, mm -hmm. um, you know, before I get into that, I, I want to back up to, uh, to John. Uh, I think, I think John deserves, deserves a little bit of, of recognition before I get into that whole aspect because John, John was kind of one of my driving factors into getting into the nonprofit world to begin with. Um, so if you have questions with that, uh, uh, as, as far as that goes, um, well, tell us what happened. Tell us what happened. Okay, so, uh, so John and I both signed up for the Marine Corps, uh, July of 2001. Uh, so we spent our entire senior year knowing exactly where we were going, exactly what we were doing. We were the only two in our senior class to, to, to have a definitive answer of what we were doing after we graduated, you know, everybody else, you know, 90% of the class was, was waiting on, on, you know, college acceptance letters. And then there was the, the select few that, you know, weren't going to go to college, but we're just going to start, you know, in a trade somewhere or whatever. Well, John and I, so John grew up, and and not such a good family environment um and and john and i were part of kind of a four-man clique that um it was me and john and then two brothers named justin and steven that where one where there was one of us the other three weren't far behind in high school and and i mean that was that was from sophomore year to to the day we graduated um, I was the fortunate one that had the truck, uh, between the four of us, you know, full time, I had my own truck. And, and so we would all cram into this little extended cab, 93 Ford Ranger. I was going to say it was a Ranger, wasn't it? I had one of those. Oh my God. I love it. We thought we were hot shit. Oh, and I love it. We go cruising 
you know, uh, through McKinney. And, and if we really got kind of daring, we, we'd cruise up to Sherman, you know, or maybe down to Plano, you know, and stuff like that. So, um, oh boy, to, to be back in high school and, and think that Sherman was a long way away. Um, it's but funny, anyway. isn't it? Yeah. yeah. So, uh, anyways, where there was one, the other three weren't far behind. And, uh, and that, and that kind of held true <clears throat> even into us getting in the Marine Corps, uh, cause three of the four of us went in the Marine Corps. Um, John and I went in together and then Justin kind of joined in, uh, a little later in, in the show, uh, or, or whatnot, but, um, I don't know, man, John, John was something special. He, uh, like I said, he didn't grow up in a very great family environment. Um, but he always considered my parents and Justin Stevens' parents, like his parents, like they were like, like he belonged to them just as much as I belonged to my parents or just as much as Justin Steven belonged to their parents. And, and the same with me with Justin Stevens' parents, you know, like, <laughs> Uh, you know, we, we went and had some some high school parties over at Justin Stevens' house, and and uh, I'm I'm sure they can get into some stories about me from there. But um, anyways, fast forward to to boot camp. John and I are going through, and uh, and John's parents can't make it out uh, just because I mean they they're just they're they're not in a in a good place to to really be able to, to come out and, uh, you know, fly out to San Diego for, for a day or two and, uh, and afford that whole mess, uh, that, that, that is, you know, Marine Corps boot camp graduation or whatever. So John spent family day, uh, fortunately with me and my parents, you know, he was, he was like a brother to me. Um, and so we spent family day together and then we graduated the, the, the very next day and, uh, John ended up flying home with us. Um, you know, we, we had, we all had seats together. We flew home. We did our 10 day leave, uh, from boot camp there. And, and then we flew back. Well, I happened to have a broken foot at the time. I, I broke my foot two weeks prior to, uh, to graduation and they let me graduate on time, but they held me back into what they call basic Marine platoon. Um, Whereas John w went on into uh, MCT, which is Marine Combat Training uh, at Camp Pendleton. He went on into that training while I had to stay for another two months at uh, Basic Marine Platoon uh, there at MCRD San Diego, which was hell. I mean, you weren't, I wasn't a recruit, but at the same time, I was, I was, a, I was a Lance Corporal uh, at, at, you know, MCRD San Diego, which means you weren't shit at all. And, uh, and the drill instructor still treated you like you were a recruit. And it was just, uh, it, was, it was a mess. Anyways, I, I, I did my recovery, foot healed, and then I went on to MCT after that. And that's kind of what led me into where my job was from there. But John and I had always kept in contact. <clears throat> and I was so 
like, I was so happy for John every time he called me uh, when we were in the Marine Corps because I knew that every time I saw his number pop up on my cell phone, um, that it was going to be good news. Like there was never, like John never called me with bad news. Like John never called me and said, you know, hey, you know, I got passed over for for uh, promotion or I got, um, you know, I got in trouble or any of that shit. Like John always called me when, when he was like, hey, man, I'm making corporal or hey, man, I'm making sergeant or hey, you know, guess what, fucker? I'm I'm a staff sergeant now, and you're still a lance corporal. You know, <laughs> you know, and um, oh, that's funny. Uh, so I always like I always enjoyed when John would call uh, with that. And uh, well, I got out after four years. Uh, I got out in 2006, and John John finally found the the permanent family fixture that he that he'd always desired through the marine corps that's, that's what he wanted more than anything was was just a family environment um you know family aspect somebody that he can call a brother that that he could rely on that that he knew no matter what happened he was always going to be john's brother and 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 uh He'd find that in, in the Marine Corps. And so John stayed in. John John signed reenlistment contracts and and kept going. Right. So um like I said, I got out in 2006. Um John stayed in and and uh we kind of lost track from there just because I wasn't in that lifestyle anymore and and he was he was still progressing uh throughout the ranks he he actually made gunny uh gunnery sergeant in in less than 10 years uh from from what i understand and and uh was kind of unheard of in the marine corps um you know as john called me the day that he got out of the marine corps uh, and and he was very disheveled. He was very. He sounded very confused, and and just like his world had gotten ripped away from him. Uh, well, in in the meantime, John and I had both gotten married. Uh, in 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 between this time, in between me getting out and John getting out, John and I had both gotten married, and we both started families. Um, you know, his, his, he has two little girls, uh, that are practically the same age as my two little girls. Um, fast forward a few years and, and I'd already been in the, in the nonprofit world for, for quite a while. Um, and, uh, and, and I'd been a fireman, you know, just along and, uh, you know, I'd, I'd just gotten off shift one morning. Uh, it was actually December 19th of 2015. Uh, I was on shift December 18th. And uh, I'd pulled into what was then my part-time job at, at uh, an organization called Sons of the Flag. Mm -hmm. And uh, uh, I'd pulled into the parking lot 
And as soon as I did, as soon as I put my truck in park, uh, my phone rang and it was, it was Justin, uh, one of the guys that we ran around with in high school that, that had later joined the Marine Corps and, mm-hmm. uh, whatnot. And, and I hadn't talked to him in, in quite a while. And so I knew, like, I knew something was going on. Uh, so I answered the phone and, um, he goes, his first words were, Hey man, are you sitting down? I said, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm sitting in my truck getting ready to go in the office. I was like, what's up, bud? He goes, um, John killed himself last night. And, uh, You know, that, that wasn't – John wasn't the first that I had served with that, that took his own life. Um, but it hit me a lot harder than, than any of the others. Uh, John was actually number four in line, um, and, and I fucking hate <clears> – excuse my language, but um, – I fucking hate that that I have a number with that. Right. Uh, but John was number four in line with that. And uh, he uh, he hit me a lot harder than anybody else. And so I I trying to gather myself and uh, going to the office that day and, and, you know, trying to get all my shit done. Uh, how? <laughs> how the fuck yeah. did you do that? Like, how? Yeah. Um, I think I was still in, in, uh, in denial. Yeah, I think I was still in denial. Um, where did he live? Uh, he lived down in Granbury. Uh, okay, so he was here in Texas. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So he was he was here local. Um, you know what? He he, uh, he got out. He was actually medically retired from the Marine Corps for uh, mental health issues and um, and and. I think that when, when that happened, I think he kind of lost his sense of direction. Um, cause I, the last time I talked to John was a week to the day that he took his own life and, and he called me and, uh, you know, he just seemed, uh, he seemed as happy as could be. Like he, he didn't have a care in the world. He called me, and I, I, I mean, I remember every word that he said. Um, you know, he was like, um, like, hey, man, you know, I know you're married. You got two little girls. So do I. You know, they need to, they need to meet each other. Um, and uh, uh, he goes, and I think you owe me a beer. And I was like, yeah, I think I owe you a beer, too. And that was pretty much the last thing that, that I ever said to him. And so, you know, to this day, um, 
you know, that whole owing him a beer is, is uh forefront of my mind. Um, yeah. I just wish I'd have bought it for him sooner. Um, but so anyways, uh, John is kind of the driving force behind um, the black honeys. Um, so John had, John had a nickname of block um, because he had a, because he had a block head <laughs> and he owned it. Like he, he loved, he loved that people recognized that he had a blockhead. And, and so that's where the name Block Foundation comes from. Um, I was wondering where, what the name, yeah. where it was from. Wow. So, so I wear a bracelet um, with John's, uh, all of John's credentials on it. He was, uh, he was a radio operator uh, for 3rd Battalion, 5th Marines. Um, he was a part of Operation uh, Phantom Fury, which is uh, the bloodiest battle that, that America has seen since World War II. Um, in Iraq is where that took place. Um, and he was just, he was a badass in his field. And unfortunately it just got cut short and, and the rug kind of got pulled out from under him. And, um, and, and this is unfortunately where we're at with it. Um, but you know, in order to not, let people remember John for, for his final act, um, more so to remember who he was, which is a man of service, um, and, and who cared about, um, the brotherhood that he was a part of. That's where the black foundation really, really stems from. And, uh, you know, it was from that day, the day that I got the, the recognition or the, 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 um, the day that I was told that John took his own life, it, it really kind of laid on me heavy that, that I couldn't let John be remembered for for what he for how he ended it versus for who he was you know um obviously <laughs> obviously still something i gotta work through um but it's uh well i appreciate you taking the time to tell that story yeah. i think um to me, it's just, you know, my two cents in life, you know, I think there's value in all of it. I think there's value in every single aspect of that, of that man's journey. Yeah, um, absolutely. You know, suicide is touching more and more people's lives um, every day. And my biggest question in all of it is, you know, what's going to make someone who is suicidal actually get help the moment or two before they before they do that and there's nothing that i have seen that's going to make them change their mind no and, and, and that's the part that is really I'll, difficult yeah and, I, and i'll defer back to uh to tampa cheryl 
um, on this because she is far more educated and far more experienced uh, than, than I'll ever be with it. But in, in my, in my very short tenure of, of kind of the mental health community um, and whatnot is, is that, uh, you know, you, you can't really, you can't really change somebody that doesn't want to change. Right. Um, and, and that's, that's one of the very hard facts um, that, that you have to recognize when, when you get into that, that field. Right. Um, so, yeah. Right. You have, you have to, I mean, and that's, that's discernment, you know, within, within that soul journey, it's like, okay, is that person going to reach out or not? Yeah. And, you know. Yeah. And I, then I have, you add that on top of, you know, John, like I said, John was number four um, as far as the uh, the guys that I'd served with. Um, and and right now it's it's not even a list of, of guys who I served with. It's it's just people that I know. And yeah. and and um I'm the next one will hit the double digits. Um wow. So, uh, yeah, it's big. Yeah, it's big. So at this point, is there anything else you want to add? <laughs> um, this is, this has been, you, you've really shared a lot. And I yeah. think that, um, you know, you've got a lot of value here. So, oh man, uh, there's so much more to add to it that, that on a positive note, you know, I'm trying to get away from uh, the, the negative uh, emotional side of it. Um, it's not, I just want to stop you. It's not negative. Yeah. It's the truth. It's not negative. And here in this, in this platform, there is no judgment here. Yeah. And that is the gift of, of the show. So I don't want you to feel that there's anything that's, that's been negative. It's not negative. It's the truth. No, it's, it's really not. Uh, I mean, it's, it's a, it's a, it's a negative aspect of life is, is what it is, but, it, but it, at the same time, it's, it's life. Um, it is life. And it's a puzzle piece, right? Yeah, absolutely. And you just gotta, man, 2020 has been fucking. Oh my God. Right. Can we just uh, call it a shit show? Hashtag shit show. Yeah. Fucking ridiculous. It's been ridiculous. So I, could, I could add so much more as far as just being a frontline healthcare provider um, on top of just what is going on on the surface of social media. Just the everything that we have to go through as as firefighters paramedics police officers uh just as first responders i mean it's it's i mean unless you live it i i, I don't think that describing it is is really just uh to, to any of it and uh 
Oh boy. Um, Maybe one day we could actually bring the podcast to you and do a ride along. Bring it. Bring it. I've never done that. I think that would be because um, this little daddy that uh, Craig set me up with is actually yeah. portable. Yeah. Hey. Uh, because I'll, I think I think that's important. I think it's important for people to see. Yeah. And you know, obviously, there's going to be confidentiality things that we can't see everything, right? Um, no. Nor would I want to put people's lives in danger. Yeah. But, but the same, at the same uh, time, I think it's important. Yeah, but at the same time, like I would be more than happy to try to run this up up the chain of command uh, to to get you on the med unit um, to to kind of see what we deal with day in and day out. And and it's not it is uh, for those that are watching. It is definitely not uh, like. Austin Fire or Chicago Fire or any of those shows out there. I mean, it is. <laughs> oh like, my gosh! You can't even watch those. It, it's that bad. Um, oh, that's awesome. But yeah, you know, it's. I don't even know anymore. It, it, th this year has been so fucking crazy. Um. You know, and, and not just what's been in the in the media as well. I mean, it's. <clears throat> I mean, if you really want to talk about mental health, uh, I mean, let's let's get down to it. As far as um, those that are still serving on the front lines, um, mm -hmm. the, the firefighters, the paramedics, uh, the, the the police officers that are that are there, you know. Um, and and please don't take this the wrong way by any means because i can completely support anybody's right to protest i can support anybody's right to try to say uh, or, or try to bring up anything that's unjust um But the guys that, that, that the, the men and women that that I see on a daily basis are getting so beat down from social media, from mm -hmm. the, the the mainstream media to, to everything. It, it's just you can't um Well, get off of it. Get off of socials. Don't watch the news. You can't. Why? Because it's, because it's it's shoved in our faces. If if you don't if if you get off of the social media, if you get off the news, you're still having to do EMS standbys for protests for um for everything that's going on. Right. I mean, you're you're, you're right. front line. For it. I mean, we're, right. we're, we still have to serve everybody that, that's out there. It doesn't matter race, creed, religion, color. Uh, I don't care who you are. Right. We, we, we're going to serve those in need. And, and unfortunately, um, a lot of those have a um, predisposed disposition as far as who we are, because they see even us as, as paramedics, um, they see us as 
as authority figures and uh and and we get we catch the brunt of a lot of it uh and and we we have to be there for um um you know these things that that end up being on on social media um even though we're trying to avoid we're we're not trying to be on it you know right, not, right. not trying to have any influence one way or the other um but but i can tell you firsthand that that you know i've been on a med unit where i've watched uh a, a blm processed um march right in front of me even though i was trying to stay away from it um you know and and, and not saying not saying i'm trying to stay away from it because i don't want to recognize it i'm, I'm trying to stay away from it for my own like mental health um, for my it's own, a lot. Very, it very much is it's a lot. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and just worried about not only how we're going to be perceived by the crowd that's walking in front of us, but also being how we're being perceived, um, on, on the very short, um, clips that, that are on social media, uh, right. because we're out there, uh, you know, um, and, and, you know, there's a lot of people that, that take the standpoint that, you know, um, if you remain silent, you're, you're part of the enemy. And, and to us, it's, it, it goes so far beyond that, right. that no matter, no matter what our personal view is, like if we, we express our personal view not only are we going to have ridicule from one side or the other on social media, but we also stand a chance of losing our income, right. losing our livelihood, um, right. depending on how our, our administration or, or um, our city council wants to look at that, uh, right. you know, and so it, it, we're caught. And you almost and have to be, you're, you're forced to be neutral. Very much so, but even then, there's there's those that are out there that that if you're neutral, you're part of the enemy, and so we're. Um, I, it it feels like we're not a part of any, you know. It feels like we don't have support from anybody uh, at yeah. times uh, with that. Um. So so. But do you like it when the community brings in sandwiches and donuts and fun things? <laughs> um, to say we love you still. So that's that's tough question so if it um, happens can you eat it or can you not eat it because you think it's going to be poisoned oh, God. There's, my brain just so, went in a totally dark place i'm sorry <laughs> Shit. So there's an unwritten rule and i'm going to go ahead and throw this out there I, there's an unwritten rule don't bring homemade uh goodies prepackaged store-bought prepackaged with a seal on it It'll it'll be much more appreciated than homemade unless unless you have a, family a member. direct family member that is at that station that right. can kind of vouch for you. Yeah. Then then that's that's a different story. That's a different story. So like if one of the guys' wives brings up some goodies, depending on you know how he's described his marriage over the last six months. <laughs> 
we, you know, we might. Oh, we might. <laughs> no, that's terrible, but, uh, Muriel. But no, oh my no, gosh. On a serious note, uh, if, if, if. But that's good to know. Because yeah. I literally wanted to take some things up to our local house here. So yeah. it's good if, to know. If the public really wants to uh, give some give some goodies to the, the local fire department, uh, store-bought is the best way to go. I'm, I'm just going to tell you right now because we've had some very sketchy um, locals bring some goodies up that, that weren't kosher, so to say. Um, well, and I've seen and heard yeah. things already, you know, with our police departments um, nationwide and things that has been happening and being yeah. found in foods. And, you know, for me, it's like, um, no, <laughs> I uh, personal safety is up and and foremost for sure. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, yeah. So, yeah. Store bought seal on it, you know, and, and the guys up at the station, guys and gals up at the station will absolutely love it. I promise you. Oh, I like that, Dano. Thank you for the gift card suggestion. That's a good idea. Yeah, gift cards as well. Um, you know, and and but but here's here's the touch of subjects about gift cards is that we can't by policy we cannot accept monetary donations. Um, Even if it's for dinner. So if we go to the grocery store, here's here's kind of the catch twenty two of that. If we go to the grocery store and we're in line to check out. And somebody in front of us or behind us is like, hey, I want to pay for your meals. Um, like, we're going to obviously decline. Like, if they tell us that they want to pay for it, we're going to obviously decline. But if they kind of go around, you know, through the back door and 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 kind of give the, the cashier some money, I mean, there's really not a whole lot we can, we can do to change that. Um, however, gift cards is, is uh, kind of falls in line of of a monetary donation and so that it, it kind of gets tricky with that um uh this is, is interesting well. who knew <laughs> yeah yeah so so there's there's a lot of uh interdepartmental policies that that, that are against that um okay. and i know ours for sure is is against us like if somebody comes up to the door and says hey here's a gift card for you know winco or, or kroger or whatever the case is like we, we technically cannot accept that. However, okay. if you bring us, if you bring us sandwiches and like, Hey, I want to donate lunch. That's not necessarily a monetary donation. Does that Got make it. Sense? Yeah. You know what I mean? So, um, the best way, honestly, to work through all of those details, um, is, is to get in touch with, um, the, the local public information officer, or uh, one of the local battalion chiefs uh, for the fire departments, and and kind of arrange it through that. Like like if you want to buy a crew a meal, um, you know it's it's best to go through like like the public information officer, the, the you know one of the local battalion chiefs stuff stuff like that, and and they'll be able to guide you a little bit better uh, as far as it goes. It, it's just a very touchy subject. I, I hate that it's so touchy, but but we're so Bye. political politically driven yeah. that yeah. we can't be seen, you know, the, the public view can't see us as like not only being uh, funded by taxpayer money, but also receiving right. gifts. Does that make yeah. sense? Yep, yep, yep. No misappropriation of funds. <laughs> absolutely. 
But real quick, one thing that I do want to touch on before we get off of here, because uh, I know we've been on here quite a while, um, is uh, is my legislation project. Yes. Uh, which is completely separate from anything that I've talked about up until this point. Um, my legislation project has been uh, in the in the in the mix for for the last five years, um, and it's being headed up by a uh, local uh, state representative here out of McKinney named Scott Sanford. Um, he has been kind enough to uh, take my project on and and author the bill that that is hopefully going to be uh, kind of the fruition of, of what my project is. So in order to do this project justice, I have, I have to take a step back and, and kind of give you, give you some reference as far as uh, what we're trying to achieve versus what we already have. Right. So what we already have is every employee uh, nationwide and, and this comes down from anti-retaliation rules that are set in place from ADA, from, from uh, Americans with Disabilities Act. If me or you or whoever else out there, as long as they're an employee of, of a company, of, of, a, uh, of an institution, of a corporation, of, of whatever it is, if we recognize that that I have a substance abuse issue um, prior to any punitive action whatsoever. If I recognize this and I, and I go to my employer, my first line superintendent uh, or, or supervisor, and I say, hey, I've got a drinking problem or, you know, hey, I'm, I'm abusing um, uh, prescription meds or illicit drugs or whatever the case is. Like, as soon as I say that, I have, I'm, I'm covered under the anti-retaliation rules under the ADA. As long as I'm compliant with treatment, as long as I'm, I'm on the road to recovery, so on and so forth. Right. So, so like they, my employer can't fire me as far as that goes. Like I can, I can go to say like, Hey, I smoke a bowl a day, like before I go into work, as long as like they didn't suspect me and, and it didn't cause any issues at work in right. order to get the punitive action initiated, I'm, I'm pretty much, I'm, I'm covered under the, the anti-retaliation rules of, under the ADA. You flip that over to the, to the mental health aspect. Um, me as a, as a first responder, uh, as a, as a firefighter paramedic, if I were to go to my, my immediate supervisor being my captain, my station captain, uh, or, or anybody above him, the battalion chief, the, uh, you know, one of the assistant chiefs or, or even the fire chief. If I go to, to any of them and I say, Hey, I'm having some issues. Like, I think I need to go talk to somebody. Um, I, I, you know, I've ran some bad calls I, or, or God forbid, you know, I'm feeling suicidal. Um, those same, those same, anti-retaliation rules from the ADA don't apply to the mental health side of things. The mental health side of things right now takes a stance of 
uh, more of a fit for duty aspect. So if I go to my captain and say, you know, hey, I'm feeling suicidal or I need to talk to somebody, whatever the case is, um, they'll refer me to the EAP, which is the Employee Assistance Program, which is pretty much what any right. legitimate company or, or municipality is, is going to have in place as, as part of their employee benefits program. They're going to have an EAP set up. Well, the problem with that is that they're not, those, those EAP counselors are not set up to handle any type of trauma. They're, they're, they're more set up for like general employees of like uh, day-to-day type um, counseling services. Right. right. So as, as a first responder, you're going to get pretty jaded by that. Um, and, and which I've got dozens upon dozens of sort of, of individual stories um, that have been jaded by, by EAPs, uh, being firefighters, police officers that, that have been referred to that program. Um, so what my, what my legislation project does essentially is, is it's gonna, going to um, ensure job protection in the same sense that we have with substance abuse uh, it's going to ensure that for those that self-recognize the mental health condition as a first responder, they have that job protection in place. Uh, as long as they're compliant with with treatment, as long as they're they're you know doesn't mean that they're still going to be a frontline first responder. Doesn't mean they're they're still going to be on the street. Doesn't mean that that they're still going to be on on a med unit or on a truck or in a squad car on on beat patrol or whatever the case is, it doesn't guarantee any of that. It just guarantees that they, that their employer, it cannot retaliate against them as, as far as demoting them or terminating. So, so did this come about because you saw that happening? Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and, uh, and, and I, say this, I say this with their full blessing um, as, as far as this project goes, but Tempa Cheryl, who you've had on your program. Yep. Yep. I love her. Her husband, AJ Cheryl, mm-hmm. this happened to directly. Uh, and, and in, in all honesty, this, I, I started this, this project out and, and with full intention and, and still with full intention that this is going to be the AJ Cheryl act. Uh, for the state of Texas, because AJ was was a police officer for a local municipality. I'm not going to name them, no. but AJ was was a police officer for for a local municipality, and he, being who he is, a Marine Corps veteran, uh, and and a at that time a tenured police officer <clears throat> who was also married to a uh, former paramedic that was also a a counselor. At um, um, at the same time, was able to recognize that he had right. some he had some issues going on, right. and he needed to he needed to talk to somebody about it. And he knew he knew without without a doubt that it was associated to his job, direct line of duty to his job. And so he went um, 
through the course that that he felt was was um, appropriate at the time, which was going up his chain of command. Because even now, I, I can tell you firsthand, uh, even even being involved with nonprofits the way that I am, um, just the the knowledge that there are nonprofits like Twenty Two Kill um, and programs like Stay the Course out there that there, there's it's just not it's not readily known and it's not readily right. utilized right and right. despite all of our efforts to, to try to to try to get these programs in the, in these um uh, uh organizations as as kind of common language throughout these these uh, departments right. um aj took the route that he felt was was the appropriate route and he went to his direct supervisor which was a sergeant and he was sent to a mental health evaluation which aj thought was part of the process of getting help uh little did did aj know that that was actually part of a fit for duty um evaluation uh, because no matter who you are, whether you're a paramedic, a firefighter, or a police officer, you fall under the fit for duty uh, category in the state of Texas. And so if you self-recognize some mental health issues and you decide, hey, I'm going to go to my chain of command um, for this, if, if, if that's the way that you feel is the best route, you really need to know right now as it stands. What your rights are. Yeah, absolutely. That that even though the state of Texas recognizes PTSD as a uh, workers' comp claim through the state of Texas, uh, the the um, you still fall under a fit for duty catalog, which anybody in your chain of command can can say, hey, you know, this guy said you know, some, some very triggering things, we're going to send them down to a fit for duty. And it, and it, and, and at that point, it really becomes a double-edged sword. So uh, you either uh, can go down there and kind of give them what they want to hear. Um, right. And, and lie. Comes back, lie. yes, lie. And if it comes back a clean bill of health, well, then that's going to be reported back to your chain of command. That's going to be reported back to your city, to your HR, to, to everybody that's involved with this process. And your HR is then going to turn that over mm-hmm. to your workers' comp insurance claim, your workers' comp insurance company. And they're from then on going to deny every one of your claims because they have this, this official document saying that you are fit for duty you're you're mentally stable uh from from this mental health uh assessment that 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 they sent you to or you can go down there and you can be honest and if it if it does come back um that you're hyper vigilant or you're manic depressive or you're bipolar or you suffer from um anxiety or you're, you're PTS, you have PTS or you have PTSD or any of the other dozens upon dozens of diagnoses that they can lay upon you, um, 
you are then no longer fit for duty, which and means you your job. You are, you are you're able to be terminated uh, by the by your employer. Um, fully legal. I mean, you're you're able to lose your job. It's still a workers' comp claim. You can still so, get you can still get your treatment covered, but but your your paycheck, your benefits, your livelihood is taken away from you. And and now you're gonna have to go try to apply for another job. And when they well, ask you why, why you lost your 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 previous employment, I mean, what are you gonna tell them? You know what I mean? I think this is really interesting because you know, obviously, where we are in America right now, right? Yeah. Um, I think it's important to recognize that you know it sounds like you're coming up with a solution to allow our first responders to get the help they need so they're not cracking on the job. That's exactly what the 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 premise of of this um, legislation project is about. Is wow. It's, it's not guaranteeing. It's not guaranteeing anybody employment to retirement. It, it's, it's not like that. What we're looking for is, is the same um, treatment that substance abuse has in our system right now, which is, which is a six month. Uh, I, I mean, it falls under just like any other yeah. um, workers comp claim where, where your initial treatment is six months. If, if you need longer than that, then they can reevaluate at that six month mark and they can extend it up to 12 or even 18 months. Well, let's be real. Let's be real. If there's a substance abuse problem, there's a mental health problem. Absolutely. And and that's, and, and that's if they cannot our, coordinate that. And that's part of our fight is that, uh, you know, you're looking at police officers, firefighters and paramedics who have, um, uh, you know, firefighters have the second highest, uh, suicide rate to any other profession out there, second only to uh, to the Marine Corps, or uh, excuse me, second only to the military. Military, um, mm -hmm. which which is averaging twenty two a day. Which I'm not going to get in on the on the twenty two a day thing, um, but I can tell you right now that the numbers that that I present, so. As part of the peer support team for for the fire department that I work for, um, I, I host or, or I, I sit all of our new hires through this class. And one of the years that, that I highlight the most is 2017 uh, because it's very recent and it's and it's very definitive on the the numbers that we get on on both ends of the spectrum versus. Uh, line of duty death versus um, what was able to be collected for um, the suicide rate. So the the one thing that you need to know about those different numbers is that line of duty death is is investigated by NIOSH. It's, it's a national institute uh, of, uh, for for safety and health uh, for occupational safety and health. Anytime that there's a line of duty death for a firefighter, NIOSH is there to um, to investigate that. And they will tell you every single detail that has gone wrong. They will investigate every aspect of it. It is, it is non-arguable. I mean, like this is as, as scientific and as definitive as they can get, uh, as, as not investigation. 
the the difference between a, a line of duty death uh, knowledge investigation versus a a uh, suicide is that the the organization doesn't have to report a suicide. So God forbid a McKinney firefighter commits suicide. McKinney Fire Department does not have to have to report that as a suicide. But if we have a line of duty death in any way whatsoever, we have to report that to NIOSH so that they can do their investigation because there's no government oversight as far as as far as um, uh, suicides go with any profession whatsoever. So there's an organization out of Arizona called Firefighter Behavioral Health Alliance ran by a guy named Jeff Dill, who is a former uh, firefighter, uh, a fire captain um, that has taken the initiative to really try to actively collect the, the suicide data from, from professional, mind you, professional departments. So he doesn't collect data from volunteer departments. This is, <clears throat> and so the difference between that is that 75% of the U.S. is covered by volunteer departments. There's uh, professional departments only make up 25% of of um, that's crazy. The firefighters in, in the United States. So in 2017, uh, these are the numbers that 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 we represent. 2017, we had 87 line of duty deaths. We had 87 people, both both professional. And, and volunteer that we can account that the job attributed to their death, right? 87. As far as Jeff Dill's numbers, we had 137 um, professional firefighters, which make up only 25% of the numbers that are collected for line of duty death. We had 137 take their own lives. 137 professional firefighters take their own lives. So based off of those numbers, we're losing up to four times as many to suicide as we are to the job killing them, which we all get into this job inherently knowing that it's a dangerous job, that we could put our lives on the line for any, any person that we come across in, in that given right. day, right? But what they don't what they don't tell you in, in the fire academy is the fucking demons that you have to deal with on the side of the job. Um, right. That's also why we have the second highest divorce rate um, to, to second only to the military. Uh, we have the second highest suicide rate, second only to the military. Um, you look at the the, the jobs.com most stressful jobs for the last you know six seven eight years running and firefighters number two just below enlisted military for every single list out there um very stressful job there's a lot more than to it than than what the public realizes and and i'm not here to i'm not here to try to complain about my my career by any means, I'm, I'm here to try to shed some light on it for for those that are in this career and are struggling um, that that you're not alone and, and that there are resources out there and there are people out there that are willing and, and wanting to help. 
uh, with that. And that is, that is the biggest message that we try to get out as the block foundation is that no matter what you're going through, um, you're not alone. And, and there's always somebody, always somebody there that's willing to listen. Um, and, and if, if I can make just, if we as an organization can, can just, you know, make a, a tiny dent on that number of suicides that we're, we are beyond succeeding. You know what I mean? Um, stress is like, like Brandon just said, uh, emotional stress is, is a silent killer. And yeah. it, it's such a, um, a stigma for us to talk about in this, in this career field that we're, we're trying to change that stigma uh, as much as we possibly can. Well, I, I wish you all the best with this and I hope you come back when you get it passed because I think that's going to be amazing. Um, and I think we're going to be doing big things together anyway. So I think we'll be seeing more of each other and I'm really excited about that. Cause I have a, I have a whole lot more to talk about, including, you know, the shirt that I'm wearing, which is firehouse overall. Uh, I just, I really have to give a shout out to, 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 to two other organizations real quick. Um, one of them being Mr. Store, uh, Susan Allen, um, with Mr. Store has, has done so much for us. It, it's, it's unreal. Um, just everybody with Mr. Store team, um, Clint Janelle is, has been beyond fantastic with his, his, uh, philanthropy of giving back to just, um, uh, the first responder and the veteran community. Uh, if, if you don't know who Mr. Store is, please look them up and, and consider them if you ever need their line of work. And the other one is, um, Firehouse Overhaul. If you haven't seen that video, please go check it out. Uh, especially, <laughs> you, especially you, Dana. Um, All right. I really want you to look at that. And and um, I just want to throw this out there that during our, our pilot episode in Houston, which I get into a whole nother conversation about that, that entire week, that'll be a whole nother like. Yeah, that'll be another show. Yes. Dude, we've been on this almost two hours. I know, but real quick, like to end this off, Firehouse <laughs> Overhaul. Oh man, Jim Scannum, my one of my one of my great friends, took he took fifty thousand dollars out of his own pocket, and we went down to Houston and remodeled an entire day. Oh, I did see that for Station Forty Five. Down I there. saw that. That was out of Jim's own pocket. Wow. Was, and that awesome. was done like in what, a day or two? Two and a half days. Yeah, I did see that. So the one thing I want to point out to that is that during that entire video, I never said a word. There was three of us. There was three main guys there. It was me, Jim, and Eric Daniels. I never said one word on that video. So I just want to point that out, that that's, that's going to be my, my character from now on when it comes to like a, a firehouse overhaul video as you'll, you're never going to hear me talk. And 
Well, you made up for it here. Yeah, (laughs) I love it. I love it. Which I could, I'm telling you right now, like there's so much more that we get into. Oh, Um, it's wonderful. No, this was good. This was good. I really appreciate you having me on. Thank you for letting me share. I'm grateful. Thank you for letting me share John's story. Um, Absolutely. It's important. Yeah. Um, It's important. Real quick, if, if, your viewers want to support the Block Foundation. Um, we have we have five. There, there's five of us that are the core members, um, and two of us actually make these little fire hose flags that you see mm-hmm. in my back. Uh, me and me and um, uh, Josh Santiago uh, make those flags. We sell those to try to raise money for the organization. So. Um, if you're interested, you know, your donation doesn't just have to be uh, a blind donation uh, or, or any of that. We're, we're, we'll be more than happy to, to, to give you something for your donation. Uh, check us out at blogfoundation.org. Uh, we're also across, well, you know. Put, put, your, put your links in the bottom of the show. Yeah. So yeah. all the links that you want to support, put them in the bottom of the show. Absolutely. Um, but yeah, we're, can- we're all across like every uh, social media platform, uh, the Blog Foundation. So uh, just look us up, follow us, uh, come out to one of our blog parties, meet us in person. Uh, we're 100% volunteer-based organization. We're very proud and and we're very fortunate that that we're able to um, to say that. Uh, I, I and and I don't mean to knock on any other organization because I know. Uh, some, some great organizations like 22 Kill, uh, Lieutenant Todd Crowell Memorial Foundation, um, and, and a handful of others that we're involved with are, are very much paid, and those guys deserve uh, every cent that they earn. But we, we're we just it, – it's, it's one, of our, one of our little standpoints that, that we like to make is that we're 100% volunteer-based. Um, doesn't mean that we're better than anybody. It doesn't mean that we're doing anything better. Uh, it, it doesn't mean and that you're that, blessed that you get to be that way. It's just it's just who we are. Uh, yeah. So so that when you give to our organization, just know that that it is going back to our our mission statement. Um, with that being that. said, so I love that. Um, we partner with Twenty Two Kill. We partner with uh, the Lieutenant South Crowe Memorial Foundation. We partner with with so many others out there, um, ATF, uh, which is Adaptive Training Foundation, um, mm-hmm. so many others out there uh, we partner with, and, and we're just very fortunate in the sense that, that we're able to help them raise some money and raise awareness with that. So again, thank you it. for everything. You're welcome. I can't wait to meet you in person. Absolutely. It'll be, It'll be somewhere. I know it will. Well, thank you, Curtis, for sharing your story with us. I'm grateful for the connection. And my heart honors your heart. So thank you so much. And thank you for tuning in tonight, everyone, because without you, we wouldn't have a show. I know that you could be anywhere else in the world, and I appreciate you being here with us tonight. And don't forget to actually get out there and give two fucks this week. Okay? Because that's important.